0: It comes. It comes. It comes. that song's going to be stuck in your head for the rest of the day I apologize. no i don't apologize i think that's good i want you to remember what we're talking about this morning and this morning we're talking about the elephants the topics that the churches cannot ignore if you are a believer in christ there are some things in culture that we can no longer ignore we can't turn a blind eye to things that are going on in our world and so this series is going to aim to tackle some of those topics and this morning we're going to be talking about prejudice in the coming weeks we'll be talking about mental illness uh we'll be talking about um addiction and all of these kinds of things that maybe the church doesn't know how to deal with but really the church was founded on dealing with these kinds of things jesus said go reach out to the people that don't look like you and so we want to uh deal with that in a biblical fashion this morning so uh, if you guys have got your fingers in luke chapter 10 we're going to pray and then we're going to read a scripture and then uh we will dive into the message of this morning lord thank you today for your word now because when we live in a world that tells us a whole bunch of different things and ways that we should live and patterns of thinking that we should have and now Lord we don't want to be conformed to the world we want to be conformed to your word and so this morning as we read your words may they sink deep into our minds and our hearts may they convict us and encourage us to live like you we pray that we find hope for our lives and for a broken world that we might speak into and we pray this in your holy name amen Amen. you would stand for the reading of the word Luke chapter 10 Starting in verse 25, we're going to be reading the parable of the Good Samaritan this morning. Perhaps you are familiar with this story, perhaps you aren't, but now this is a story where Jesus uh, was having a conversation with some folks. And in the middle of the conversation, um, he was interrupted by a lawyer. And um, Well, lawyers tend to have a reputation, and perhaps they got the reputation from passages such as this. Uh, we're not going to make any judgments this morning because we're going to learn not to do that. But needless to say, the lawyer stood up and put Jesus to the test. And he said, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? The question that burns perhaps on all of our hearts. What should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, well, what's written in the law? How do you read the law? And the lawyer answered, well, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and with all your mind. And you should love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, Well, you've answered correctly, so do this, and you will live. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, "But well, who is my neighbor? Who am I supposed to love? Who's my neighbor? And Jesus replied, Okay, I got a story for you. There was a man, and he was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, And he fell among robbers who stripped him naked and beat him and then departed and left him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that same road. And when he saw that man, he looked at him and then he passed by on the other side of the road. So shortly thereafter, a Levite, when he came to that place and saw that man, he passed by on the other side of the road. But then a Samaritan, as he was journeying, came to where this man was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And so he went over to him, and he bound up his wounds, and he put oil and wine on them, and then he set him on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him there. And the next day, he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of this man, and whatever more you spend, I will repay to you when I come back by this way. So, lawyer, which one of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? And the lawyer responded, well, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, so now you go and do likewise. And this is the word of the Lord for us this morning. You may all be seated. You know, I went, I went looking um, in Scripture um, for the topic of prejudice, right? And you can't find the word prejudice in scripture. Um, It's not translated that way. Um, So I thought, well, does God's word have something to say about the struggle that we have in our culture? Does God's word have something to say to the prejudicial things that are going on in our world and our culture and our life and maybe even our own hearts? And I couldn't find prejudice in my concordance. And so I had to go a little broader and a little deeper and look at the words that God uses and the stories that God tells and over and over and over again, I found a God who is not prejudice, who has no preference for race, for nation, for ability, for disability, for anything. We have one race, and it's the human race, right? And God made the human race perfect in his image, and we're gonna get to that in just a minute. Now, when I say the word prejudice, we're gonna do a little thought association game, okay? And I don't want you to say your words out loud, okay? Um, I just, I want you to keep them in your mind, in your heart, between you and Jesus, okay? When I say the word prejudice, what's your first thought? Give yourself a second. What's the first images that you think of? What's the first cultural pictures you get, the news stories? What comes to mind, okay? You got kind of an image in your mind, right? Now, now I want you to picture Jesus. What does Jesus look like? Okay? now, I want you to picture you're at a fast food restaurant. okay, And there are two tables in front of you. And you're going up to order, and you pass these two tables. And at one table is someone who weighs 150 pounds, and they're eating uh, extra large size Big Mac meal, right? okay, And at another table, there's someone who weighs 600 pounds, and they're eating the same meal. What is your thought process when you see that? When you're driving down a large city street, okay and you see panhandlers on the side of the road, okay? And they've got their dog, and they've got their pile of stuff, and they've got the cardboard signs. What do you think? Um, What about when you're in the grocery store line, and there is a single mother in front of you with loads of children of all different ages, and she's got her WIC checks, and she's got her welfare, you know, her food stamps card, and she's taking her time, and things are a struggle, and she's yelling. So what are you thinking in those moments? (laughs) (laughs) Every single one of us struggles with prejudice in one way, shape, or form. No one of us is exempt from biased thoughts that kind of shift our heart one way or the other. And it's not all about race, though that might be the predominant thing that we see in our culture today, right? And I could probably spend an entire hour listing off news stories from probably the last month alone that deal with the racial tension in our culture. But prejudice is so much larger than race, right? And if we're honest with ourselves, we've grown up in a culture that has formed our minds and our hearts to think specific ways about specific groups of people and to act certain ways in specific situations because of our thoughts and preconceived ideas. Now, I want to define some terms for us so that we are all on the same page this morning. A stereotype, are you guys familiar with this word? Okay. A stereotype is simply applying the characteristics of the few to the many, right? And stereotyping isn't necessarily bad. Like, all squares are rectangles, but not all rectangles are squares, right? So, there's a general stereotype, right? You, can, you learn that in geometry. Not a bad thing. We're just looking at characteristics of four sides and angles and right now. Right. But sometimes, you can take stereotypes, and you can apply the characteristics of the few to the many, and it can become a very bad thing, right? So um, all people who ask for coins on the side of the road are faking it, right? That's probably not the, right, the best stereotype to put your mind in. The thing is, when we take those stereotypes and we apply them to specific people in reality and we judge them, we've moved from an idea of a general stereotype, which isn't maybe necessarily the best but not necessarily bad, depending on what you're doing, to a prejudice, right? to an implicit prejudice. Now, I want to define something for you. Um, Ohio State University's, I did a lot of research on sociology and and stuff this week. It was mind-blowingly fascinating. But anyway, um, Ohio State University's School for the Study of Race and Ethnicity defines implicit bias an implicit prejudice, meaning it's all internal, right? as the attitudes or stereotypes that affect our understanding, actions, and decisions in an unconscious manner, okay? So, when we grow up in a culture that says, these type of people act this way, and these type of people act this way, and this group of people are characterized this way, we grow up with an implicit bias that we might not even be aware of. And that implicit bias tends to drive our thoughts And our actions and our words and the people we choose to hang out with or not hang out with. Right? Okay? So, implicit prejudice is something that we have in our lives. Now, then there's another step we can take. We can have explicit prejudice. Okay? So, implicit is what happens in here. But when we act on that, okay? When we act on that implicit bias, that implicit prejudice, then suddenly we become discriminatory, right? We act on and say, these people are not worthy of X, Y, or Z. These people are not real people, right? And so we can do what we want with them or we can ignore their plight because they're less than. We look at history and it tells us slavery treated folks like that. They weren't real people, therefore they could be treated like inanimate objects, right? Bought and sold. We look at the term, Uh, We look at uh, World War II and the history with um, trying to eliminate an entire race of people, right? And the term racism was first used in Nazi Germany. That's where the word developed, right? And so we see that when we think away and then act on it, it divides people rather than unites people. Now, um, when it comes to prejudice, why is it important for the church to talk about it? This is a question that I had to ask myself. There's a series of questions we're going to ask and answer this morning. And the first question is, why is it important for the church to talk about this? Why can't we just be happy in our church circle? Why can't we just love Jesus and come together on a Sunday morning and not deal with this? Like, that's in the world, right? It's not here. The church isn't prejudiced, right? None of us have biases, right? None of us lean one way or the other in any particular direction towards any particular people group, right? We all love Jesus and recognize everybody's created equal, and we never think prejudicial thoughts, right? And eh. eh. Like, if we're honest, okay, we have some biases. We must talk about this, because all of humanity is made in the image of God. Right? All humanity is made in the image of God. Because we read in Genesis, and we believe the Bible to be too, true, that God made man and woman, right, in his image, right? And we know that we are descendants of Adam and Eve, right? And so we are made in God's image, right? Now, um, it's funny, when you read, um, it, you read that story in Genesis of Adam and Eve and, and beautiful humanity being made in God's image, and, and if you think about it, there was only one nation at that time, human nation, right? The humanity as a whole. But then you flip like five pages forward, and you get to Genesis chapter 11, And all of this united humanity, made in God's beautiful image, decided we want to be like God. We want to conquer God. We want to use our united efforts to build a tower. And we want to reach heaven. And so in Genesis 11, you have this story about the Tower of Babel. And it said the whole earth had one language and the same words. Right? And they decided, we're going we're to build a tower, and we're going to be like God, and we're going to conquer God, because we don't want to be dispersed over the face of the earth. We love our people. We love the way we are. And we're going to use our unity to sin, okay? And God said, well, that's not just how things work, okay? You don't just become like me. You don't just build a tower and overcome me, right? And so God did this. The Lord confused the languages of the earth, and the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth, right? And so God took this united humanity and he gave them in his beautiful and wise and immense creativity, he gave languages and culture and nationality and ethnicity to the world. And he said, and now now y'all are going to be spread out across the world in this beautiful diversity. And within this beautiful diversity, y'all can still worship me and glorify me as I've created you to with your tribes and your tongues and your nations and everything. It's going to be wonderful, but now you're not going to try and conquer me together anymore, right? But we see down through time, if nations can't group together and conquer God, they will group together and conquer each other, right? And so we started this thing in humanity called let's try and put another group down so that we can be on top. That's not how God designed it. And we as a church have to talk about this because all of us are made in the image of God. And um, in scripture, here's the only place I can find prejudice, the word, okay? Um, In Acts chapter 10, let me flip here and I'll read it to you. Acts chapter 10, verse 34 and 35. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. That word can be translated prejudice. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right and acceptable to him belongs to him. God is not prejudiced. God shows no partiality. It does not matter where you're from or what language you speak or what your background is. You are God's chosen people. He loves you and desires to have relationship with you. And the gospel is the clearest example of the fact that God is not prejudiced. There is no greater social, relational, cultural, economic, and religious gap than that that exists between (laughs) fallen humanity and God the Father. There is no greater separation that can occur than between humanity and his creator, right? And so Jesus, looking at this broken, flawed, distant humanity that is totally not at all like himself in holiness and purity... He says, that just can't be. I love these people who are so different than me, and I'm going to go to them, and I'm going to walk with them and talk with them, and I'm going to get to know them. I'm going to wrap myself in flesh, and I'm going to engage them, and I'm going to seek out the most distant from me, and I'm going to redeem them back to me as an example of this deep personal grace that God has. God is not a distant grace kind of guy. He's a personal grace kind of guy. He doesn't step back and not be involved in our lives. He's very much involved in our lives, even though we were separated from him by sin. And while we were still sinners, right, Christ died for us. While we were still sinning and in active separation, Christ came and died for us. He says, listen, there's no no boundary too great that my personal grace can't overcome. And he set this example for believers. We are to be an example of the Lord to the world around us, which means we are, as Christians, to find the people that don't look like us, to find the people groups that don't sound like us, to find the people that we might have an implicit bias towards in our mind and heart, and intentionally reach out to those people with the love and the personal grace of Jesus Christ. Because, it says in James I'm gonna flip here, James two, eight and nine. If you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, prejudice, you're committing a sin and you're convicted by the law as transgressors. Every time we have an implicit biased thought in our mind, that's a sin against God because he has created all humanity in his image and we are not called to live that way we are not called to think ourselves better than anybody else we're not called to prejudge anybody else we are called to love people with the personal grace of jesus christ no matter what now um i I was reading up a, a sermon you guys familiar with rick warren the preacher okay um he was talking about this once and he wrote something really good and i'm just I can't claim it's mine, so I'm just going to claim it's his because it is, and I'm going to read it to you. And he defines the range of this topic of prejudice. And I don't want you to answer out loud, but when you hear this, I want you to think about where you might fall. Okay? (coughs) Rick Warren defined racism, racist, as the worst of all types of beliefs. Someone who hates another race, or bullies another race, or discriminates against another race. But there are also bigots. And they're just slightly better than the racists. Defining a racist as someone who believes in stereotypes, I'm sorry, defining a bigot as someone who believes stereotypes about a particular race and belittles other people. So you've got racist, and then you've got bigot, and then you've got avoider, Warren continues. An avoider is someone who is uncomfortable around people that aren't like them. And then you have people who are insensitive, That those people are just completely oblivious to what hurts other people. Their words and their actions. They have no idea that they are being hurtful. And then there are people who are apathetic who just don't care. I just don't care. I just I I don't see color. And that's probably not the best thing to say, because God made beautiful diversity. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we have to care. Looking at the positive side of this spectrum, he said, there are those who are sensitive. They are kind and inclusive, but the attitude doesn't go far enough. God doesn't want us just to be kind and inclusive. He wants us to be a reconciler. Someone who is an active bridge builder between people who are different for the glory of God. Right? So this is what Jesus did for us, right? He was a reconciler. He was an active bridge builder. He went into a world that was completely different than him, and he reconciled it to a perfect God so that we might have unity in Christ rather than constantly be fighting against one another. He showed us a better way to live, and that way is in unity with him. Um, one of the things that struck me on this list was that whole um, ignorance idea. Um, And I think that's probably where a lot of people fall. I am just ignorant, I just don't know, I just don't care about the stuff that's going on. It doesn't bother me, therefore, it's not part of my life. And if we ignore something, we are passive and permissive. If we ignore the situation where people are being marginalized, We are passive when it comes to it. We're not taking any action against it. And we are permissive, meaning we're allowing it to continue. And we know it is a wrong behavior according to God's word. It's kind of like the Levite and the priest in our story this morning. Who saw the injustice, had the ability to do something about it, but were passive in their action and permitted that person to continue to suffer. That is not how God has called Christians to live. So um, what must we do? What must we do if prejudice is a sin and we all realize there's probably an implicit bias somewhere in our minds and hearts? What must we do as Christ followers to reconcile the world? We need to demonstrate personal grace, not distant grace. Personal grace, not distant grace. The parable of the Good Samaritan tells us that to fulfill the love of God, we must love our neighbor. Right? And we learned that our neighbor is someone who is not like us. Now, if you know the background of that story, um, the Samaritans and the Jews did not get along at all. They were just as on opposite ends of people as you could ever experience. So think of the polar opposite cultures and religions and ways of life. And they hated each other. In fact, Jews were so against the Samaritans that they would go extra miles in their journey to walk around Samaritan villages because they believed that if they walked on Samaritan territory, they would become unclean to God. That's how much they disliked the Samaritan people. So you've got this Jew who has come down from Jericho and he has gotten hurt and a Samaritan who shouldn't interact with a Jew and a Jew who shouldn't interact with a Samaritan. And the Samaritan is the one who stops. The Jewish priest and the Jewish Levite, that's like the pastor and like a board member walking by their own people saying i'm not going to get involved because it's risky and dangerous to me but it was risky and dangerous for jesus to come to earth and He has led us an example to have that personal grace the kind of love that jesus loved us with that personal grace is the grace that takes the time not just to get so know someone's name but takes the time to actually get to know that person That person's situation. That person's um, experiences and life, breadth and depth. That person's um, uh, dog's name. That person's family history. That person's cultural background. That person's language, perhaps. We must get to know people for who they are, build a relationship with them, and break down the barrier that was built by man, right, and rebuild a reconciled barrier through love. Um, The kind of love that we are called to live out to this world is, is referenced in Galatians 3. So if you're taking notes, Galatians 3, verses 26 through 29. For in Christ Jesus, if you are in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God, right? One people group, children of God. And you're that way through faith. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put Christ on. Meaning, if you've put Christ on and in, then you demonstrate personal grace because that is what Christ demonstrates, okay? So this is not something that you have to force yourself to do. When you become a child of God, God will help you live personal grace because he lived personal grace towards you. For as many as you were baptized into Christ, you put on personal grace. Therefore, there is no Jew or Greek, and there isn't slave or free, and there's not male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Scripture could go on to say there is um, not rich or poor. There is not, um, right, uh, West Coast and East Coast, right? There is not, uh, insert any kind of divisive bridge that exists in our world. It doesn't exist in the kingdom of God. Therefore, why do we let it exist in the little embassy of God that we have here? Why do we as Christians say it's okay for us to live holy and there's none of this in Scripture, but when we go out in the world, we're okay with it and we allow it in our hearts and our minds? Um, It's really fascinating. Um, MIT and Princeton worked together to do a study, they built a supercomputer, artificial intelligence. and I don't understand computers all that well in terms of artificial intelligence, but they built this computer that's whole purpose was to learn from what was on the internet, okay? And so once they built this computer, they set it loose on all of the internet sites that are in the United States. If you can define the internet by region, I guess they did, and they had all these internet sites that are produced by the United States. And they said, artificial intelligent computer, we want you to take all of the words that are made by the United States on the internet. We want you to study them and learn them and absorb them. And then once you've done that, we're going to give you something called the implicit association test, which is a study that Harvard developed for people. And the study says, um, what words do you associate with what other words? So if I gave you four words right now, bug and flower, good and bad, how would you associate bug with good or bad. bad. okay, And flower, good or bad. okay. So this is just an association test. Why? Why would you associate flower with good and bug with bad? Because we've been trained to think that bugs are creepy and crawly, right? And, um, and flowers are beautiful and smell wonderful and make our hi- life happy, right? Okay. These are implicit biases we have that aren't necessarily bad, but they exist in our world. Now, they gave this artificial intelligence after it had learned from all the words in the United States internet database the implicit association test and you know what it found it found that america's really racist it found that America's really biased it said okay computer we're going to give you two jobs and male and female doctor and nurse male and female guess how it scored every time doctor male female nurse right um It gave specific races. Dangerous, not dangerous. I don't even have to tell you how this one scored. Okay? The problem is, we live in a society, a culture, the America that we love, right? That has implicit biases. Right? We are raised in this, and we have to recognize this because we must fight actively against what the culture is imprinting on our hearts and our minds. We must not have room for implicit bias in our life. There is not Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free in the kingdom of God. There are God's children in the kingdom of God. And in all of our diversity, we bring glory to God, right? Right, that should be an amen right there, right? Amen. 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 Okay, so here's what happens. We don't live a life of personal grace. We live a life of distant grace. And in doing so, we acknowledge people who are different than us. Isn't it great that there are other cultures and nations and races and tribes and tongues? Isn't it great that there are people groups out there that are different from us, right? And they're different than us, but they're not here, and that's okay, because kind of frankly, I'm okay with them being over there and us being over here, right? And we love from a distance. And we don't make strides to get involved in people's lives because we're fearful of getting messy. We're fearful of saying something awkward or embarrassing or politically incorrect and offending someone. We're scared of crossing cultural lines and we're scared of crossing socio-economical, socio that kind of line, right? <laughs> and we're scared of crossing lines into subcultures that we don't know how to relate to because we think they are so different from us we might never have anything to say except how's the weather. Right? and even then we might have different views right? so we love from a distance that's called distant grace and it's not the love of Christ it's the love of man I'll get to know your name and I'll be polite to your face but in reality I don't care about you and if your people group or your subculture wasn't in my world I'd be okay with it and that's distant grace Jesus didn't live that way Jesus didn't live that way towards us. He didn't look at us and go, eh, I know their names. I really wish they weren't the way they were, so I'm going to stay away from them. Personal grace says, you're different than me. And that's okay. Diversity is glorifying to God as we are united under the shed blood of Jesus. So let's find ways to work together and let's find ways to glorify God together and let's find ways to preach the gospel to people that have never heard it, even if they're uniquely different than us. Christ came to us and he got messy for us and he called us to have unity in him. And that unity in Christ brings glory to God through diversity of language and ethnicity and culture and ability and uh, everything. So what would it look like if we lived personal grace out? What would it look like if the church embraced this idea that prejudice doesn't exist in the kingdom of God? And we actively fought against the implicit biases we have in our hearts and our minds and our souls. And every time one of those thoughts popped up when we were at the grocery store or we were at a fast food restaurant we were driving through town or we saw a news something or we saw someone who goes, man, they're just, I can't believe they live that way. That's so wrong. What if every time we had one of those thoughts, we stopped and we said, Lord, I think that might be a prejudicial thought. Would you help me take every thought captive for you? Would you help me love people with personal grace? What would happen if we lived that way? We might find ourselves doing that prayer a little more often than we think we need to. If we lived a life of personal grace here in Ketchikan, what would it look like? What if we as a church rejected all forms of prejudice? What would our church look like? Have you thought about that? I I did a little uh, cultural study in Ketchikan. If we as a church reflected all, uh, uh, refused all forms of prejudice, our church would reflect the culture that we live in. Our church would look like a slice of the city that we lived in. Um, and it would, uh, it would look like this. 67% of us would be white because 67% of Ketchikan is white in all of its various forms of whatever white means. <laughs> 33% would be made up of native Pacific Islander, Hispanic, Asian, Filipino, and African-American cultures. Wouldn't it be great if we could have a diverse cultural worship experience? Wouldn't it be great if we could worship in multiple languages? And sometimes we're not singing the words because someone else is singing the words, but we know that they are glorifying God and we get to hear them glorify God in their own language. Wouldn't that be cool? right? 8% of our congregation should be bilingual. Um, 10% of our congregation should be vets who have served in the service. 10% of our congregation should be below the poverty line. And if it's not, we're not reaching people who are marginalized. 10% of our congregation should be disabled in some way, shape, or form. And I'm not even counting because it's very hard to tabulate the number of people who fall into the LGBT category, right? The number of people who are mentally ill, the breakdown of age ranges, right? There are multiple ways we can look at slices of our city and go, our church doesn't necessarily reflect this we have some work to do. We are not reaching everybody in our culture because we are comfortable reaching who we look like, not whom God has placed us to reach. If we embrace this idea of personal grace and we reject the idea of distant grace, our church would find space for people to belong before they believed. We wouldn't expect people to come here and already be a believer and understand what Christian fellowship looks like. We would expect people to be completely different than us and smell like alcohol and be homeless and live lives steeped in sin, but we would welcome them here and go, hey, we love you and God loves you, belong with us. And as they belong with us and as we demonstrate personal grace to them, they will slowly but surely come to believe in the love of Jesus that was demonstrated so accurately to them. Um, A church that lives this way is a picture of God's preferred future for his kingdom on earth. And it's a picture of what will be in the kingdom of heaven. Have you guys ever read Revelation? Some of you are like, no, it's scary, Pastor. Okay? I heard it loud and clear from some brains. Okay? Do you know Revelation is this beautiful book? It's not a scary book at all. Um, because it's a picture of how God is going to unite all nations together, how God is going to produce life where there was no life, how God is going to vanquish evil. It's the ultimate end to the story that is wonderful. And in Revelation chapter 5, it says this, all of the elders fell fell down before the lamb, and they were all holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense. Big old worship service, right? And the prayers of the saints, and they sang a song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, Jesus, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they will reign on earth forever and ever. And so this idea that we can live out God's preferred future in heaven, but we can live it out now is really exciting to me. The prejudice does not need to exist within the kingdom of God. And when we gather together as people of God, we are proclaiming the kingdom of God exists right here, right now, which means prejudice has no place in our hearts and minds. What's at stake if we don't live that way? You ever thought about that? Like It's one thing to think, wouldn't it be great if we didn't live this way? Look at the happy future that we could have and then we go about our life without changing anything. We have to look at what's at stake if we don't, right? You ever watch movies? They kind of give you like a split timeline, and you see the timeline of one future if you make one choice, and a timeline of another. Maybe it's just me, because I'm a sci-fi guy. Anybody uh, anybody out there with me? (laughs) Okay, you know what I'm talking about, right, though? okay. So we've looked at the preferred future. Let's back up, and let's look at what happens if the church doesn't live a life of personal grace. It's terrifying. Um, distant grace and willing blindness to troubles that aren't ours, right? If it's not my problem, not my problem, right? Not my circus, not my monkeys, right? We say that in culture, right? If we live that way towards people who are marginalized, enslaved, mistreated, left behind, outcast, in poverty, abused, accused unfairly, right? Um, We will enable a world to continue to fracture along every conceivable difference that humanity can find. Believe me, humanity can find so many differences so that one group can stand on top of another group. And if we turn a blind eye as Christ followers and say, it's not my problem. I don't, I don't, I'm not, I've never, I am not racist. I'm not prejudiced. Other people are, but I'm not. And if we gather together as a culture and say that as Christ followers, we are then not stepping into the lives of people who are being mistreated. Each group will seek its own good over and at the expense of another group, and people will believe that it is acceptable to say, but I don't see race. And they're going to think that's a good non-prejudicial thing to say, but the reality is if you don't see race, you don't see the problems that people with specific races have if you don't see how people are being mistreated because of where they are from or the language they speak or their disability or anything else that separates them, then you've turned a blind eye to the people of God that God loves, that we've been called to go serve, and you're saying, that doesn't exist. I don't look at it. Neener, neener, neener. And we go about our life. And all the while the world decays, and God has called us to be in that world. To be in that decaying world, to find the people that are marginalized and saying, "No more!" There are bullies in this world, and we'll stand up for the people that don't have a voice. Um, distant grace is exact opposite of the call of Christ to love your neighbor. You want to know what it takes to fulfill the laws of God to be saved? Love Jesus and love your neighbor as yourself. You prejudice against yourself? Do you think, I'm going to mistreat me today. I'm going to judge me. I'm going to be harsh to me. I'm going to enslave myself. Nobody does that to themselves. Don't do that to other people. We are called to live a life of personal grace. And in order to do that, we have to respond. We have to acknowledge the elephant. Right? It's not enough that we talk about it. It's not enough that we name it. Prejudice is a sin. It's not enough that we say, we shouldn't live this way. And then not do anything about it. Because then we're just going to go back to the way that we live. We have to, Christians, Christ followers, brothers and sisters. We have to take this elephant, slay it, and be done with it. And that starts at the altar because every single one of us has some sort of bias in our life. We can't not be raised in the culture we've been raised in. In fact, there's a test you can take. I sent out the link earlier this week, and I don't know if some of you took it or not, but it takes you to the page on Harvard where you can take that implicit bias test, the implicit association test, and you can take it for um, all kinds of categories, religion and race and, I mean, there's just numbers of ways that you can be biased. Take a few of them. See where you fall. I was surprised at my results, frankly, okay? and I realized I had some work to do with Jesus that I didn't realize I had to do. God revealed to me that there is sin in my life I was unaware of. I've never considered myself racist. I've never considered myself prejudiced. My parents raised me to love all people. But culture's voice is loud and strong, and we must actively fight against that. And if we don't name the elephant and slay the elephant at the altar in front of Jesus, we will continually embrace that elephant. Or ignore that elephant, which it might be worse. This morning, as we worship, and the team is going to come up and begin to lead us, we must give God permission this morning. And, and we have to do this. It's not, that he does, it's not that he's not God and he can't work in our life, but we have our way of holding on to things. We put up stone walls, and we're like, this far but no farther, Jesus because I don't want the pain and the struggle of feeling what you're about to do. This morning, as Christ followers, we must get on our knees before Christ and say, I give you permission to reach down into my heart and my mind and rummage around up in there and poke the parts that I didn't realize were strongholds. I want you, God, to get down in there and grab a hold of that bias that I didn't realize I had. Show it to me. Make me hurt for the way that this is sin in my life. And then gently lead me to repentance and be done with that part of my life. We must ask God to help us take our thoughts captive. That when those thoughts pop up again, and they will, we ask God, Lord, take this thought captive. Take it far away from me, and may I never sin like that before you again. We must repent of the ways that we know we have been prejudiced towards a people or a group or a person and admit that sin, and we must ask God for the strength to not stand by and turn a blind eye when people are being marginalized and mistreated and ignored because they are different than us. God is glorified when all of humanity, without exception, worships him together with one voice. And the only way that every tribe, tongue, nation, and knee will bow before Jesus is if we Christians get off the bias horse and out into the world. Amen? Let's pray and worship. Lord, um, your word tells us that there is no place in a Christian's heart for bias. And yet we've grown up in this world where bias is everywhere. And it seems like every time I turn the news on, there's another something that's telling me how to think. And I don't want to be formed by this world anymore. You revealed to me this week, Father, ways in which I have sinned against you and the people you have created. And I didn't even know it. Lord, I want you to take those things that are in my heart that are not like you. And I want you to take them far away from me. You nailed them to the cross, but I tend to want to hold on to them. Now that I'm aware of them, they make me sick. Would you create in me a new heart this morning, Father? Would you restore your spirit in me? Would you help me see people like you see them? Would you help me act towards people like you acted towards me with a great and personal love? Lord, as we worship you in song this morning, May our hearts be knelt before you, open. May our knees be bent in humility. May our minds be restored by your word. And may we leave with a new idea of grace, first in our hearts, so that we might demonstrate it outwardly to others. Give you all the praise and all the glory. Do with us as you will. We pray this in your name. The altar is open to come and pray.